Thank you, thank you. Good being with you tonight. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 2. And Galatians is a good book. I think a lot of times in understanding the Word of God, it's important to get a kind of an overview of a book and how it goes together and what's going on. And so I've entitled this uh, study in Galatians. Uh, it's, it's Paul's defense of the gospel. And uh, there's probably a slide up here somewhere. Oh, it'll get here. Okay, so I'll stall around for that. But, um, yeah, how many uh, people have ever been sick because you ate or drank bad water? Is there anybody here who's ever had that happen? I see somebody back there. Ah, Will. <laughs> so, um, uh, people, if they drink bad water, they can get sick or they can even die. So it's important if you drink water. I have a, um, a motor home, and the water system is filtered uh, just to take impurities out of that water. And Paul, writing this epistle to the Galatians, is writing it primarily as something that is in defense of the gospel. Okay? And that is the gospel by grace through faith. There it is, Paul's defense of the gospel. And so um, kind of I'm going to back up because I know people have preached on this. I don't have my, leather, my Bible sword here, so I'm preaching on electronics. So I'm kind of compromising a little bit from what I'm... Those, somehow those pages are more inspired than, the, than the, the stuff that comes through on the Internet. Uh, it just seems more holy to me, but, you know, that's just... Um, how I feel sometimes, which isn't really reality. So, um, but uh, just to back up, and I'm going to be, like I say, on uh, electronics tonight, so things don't just jump out in their usual place on my Bible. But he says in verse 6 of chapter 1, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live by grace, the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if I or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Uh, as we have already said, and I say it now again, he's repeating himself, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So pretty strong. Um, what had happened, and it's something that you'll see in a lot of Paul's epistles and even through the book of Acts, is where every, everywhere um, when, the, when uh, Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and uh, before he goes up in Acts 1, he tells his uh, apostles, he says, you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the furthermost parts of the earth. So you're going to carry on the message that I left behind. And if you read the book of Matthew, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples, you just go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In reality, he, he came first to the Jews, all right? And uh, John writes in his gospel, he came unto his own, that's the Jewish people, but his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the right or the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, all right? And so, um, though John focuses, or Matthew primarily on the gospel going to Israel, John is written much later, 
In fact, I believe John is written after the destruction of Jerusalem. And John's focus is something completely different than what you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are earlier Gospels. Instead, you get something completely different where he says things like this. For God so loved, and he doesn't say the nation of Israel, though it was, that's true. It says, God so loved the world. So all through the Old Testament, there had been prophecies about the gospel going to the Gentiles. And that there would be a light that would shine to the Gentiles. And it was always purpose and intent that the gospel would reach the whole world. And I'm thankful for that. Okay? Remember, Jesus says, you know, hey, I'm the door of the sheepfold. Uh, everybody, you know, he says, uh, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. And, you know, if someone tries to climb up some, they're the thief, a thief and a robber. And he says, uh, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And in that same chapter, he says, I go into that sheepfold and I call my own sheep by name and lead them out. And now there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And that sheepfold is like a picture of Judaism, like the Old Testament law and the Jewish people that were called out to be a special people to sort of be a testimony for God on the earth, although they completely failed in it. And then when the Messiah came, they rejected him and God knew they would. And so he used that because all things work together for good, not only to bring Jesus to the cross and become the savior of the world, which would save both Jewish people and Gentile people. So God's heart, as you see in the Gospel of John, unfolds. It's kind of like the subject of the lamb in the Bible. You know, in early Genesis, you have, they would bring an offering of a lamb when they sinned, a lamb for an individual. And then you go a little bit farther, and you get to Exodus 12, and now you see a lamb for a household. And then you come later on in Leviticus, and you hear about the Day of Atonement, and now you have a lamb for the nation, a nation. And then when you get to John's gospel, something you never find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you have John the Baptist saying, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see God's heart expanding. He, he always had that intention, but now it's fully revealed that Gentiles, like what most of us are, are brought in as well. Okay, so these Jewish people that had been put under law uh, in the Old Testament that we find was more of a schoolmaster to bring them to God. When Jesus came, they still wanted to hang on to what Paul refers to as the elementary principles or the weak, King James, weak and beggarly elements. And he's referring to that as still living in the immaturity of trying to keep rules and regulations because he says later on in Galatians, the law was your tutor. It's your schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. So the purpose of the law wasn't to somehow bring us righteousness. I like to say the law is like a mirror. It shows you you have a dirty face, but it doesn't wash your face. Paul says in Romans 7, the the commandment that slew me was thou shalt not covet. That's what, that's what slew me. So, you know, the law, by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
it, it became real. But when I become a Christian, the Bible actually teaches that through the death of Christ, this is Romans 7, I died not only to my old past life and my sinful life, but I also died to the law. It doesn't have dominion over me anymore. I'm brought into a position of freedom to live now by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says in Galatians, by the deeds of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth are come by Jesus Christ. So after Jesus rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, the gospel first is gone out in Jerusalem and in Judea, primarily to Jews. And then in the book of Acts, remember Peter gets, uh, well, I should say Philip goes down to Samaria, a mixed company, and he preaches to those guys, and there's a revival. And then God calls him to go out and reach an Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, Paul's converted, and he becomes an apostle to the Gentiles. Chapters 10 and 11 Remember, Peter has that vision of the sheet coming down out of heaven and all these animals are unclean and God says, kill and eat, you know. And he's like, no. He says, no, Lord. Does that seem kind of funny? No, Lord. God tells you to do something and you say no and then you call him Lord. But that's what happened. And, and so this thing happens several times and Peter finally gets it through his head that God's calling the gospel to the Gentiles. He goes down to... Caesarea, and he meets a guy named Cornelius and leads that guy to the Lord, and pretty soon everything busts wide open, and the gospel's going all over the world. And Paul, who has his special revelation from heaven and calling, is going um, out and starting churches all over Asia Minor and uh, in these Gentile regions, and people are getting saved. And then come along come the biggest enemy that I have seen in my study of scripture. I mean, we know that Satan is a big enemy. You have three enemies to the Christian, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the external foe, the internal foe, and the internal Okay? So we have those enemies. But the biggest enemy to Paul in planting churches in the early Christian era were a group of people called the Judaizers. And they were people who had come out of Judaism. They had been law keepers. They knew there was a covenant made with Abraham that, you know, you had to circumcise your children to show that you believed in God. And so pretty soon they started trusting in the ritual more than in actual promises of God that God had made to Abraham when God's way of salvation has always been by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. It had nothing to do. He lived before the law was ever given. He got saved by grace through faith. You and I, if you're saved here tonight, are saved only one way, by grace through faith. Not something added to that, not something taken away from that, just simply by grace through faith. But what the Judaizers were doing is trying to come through and add law to these Gentile believers that had simply accepted the gospel. And Paul's like, man, who's bewitched you guys? Who's led you astray? I'm just amazed that so quickly you fall prey to these people. Paul actually referred to the, Gen the, to the Judaizers as dogs. It's kind of interesting. I was re you, know, you read um, Philippians chapter 3, and he says something like this. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And what's Huh? And beware of dogs. 
and beware of the concision. So we, we, wait a minute. Didn't you just say rejoice in the Lord? You know, was, was Paul just a, like, you know, a Pentecostal guy? They say, hey, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, you know. No theology, no nothing. Let's just jump around and be happy, okay? Uh, no, he wasn't that. But he called Jewish, the Judaizers, dogs. In the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' time, Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. But Paul refers to the Judaizers as dogs. Because, and, and the reason he says, rejoice in the Lord... And then beware of dogs is because he's trying to point them to the only true means of salvation. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. So why are you rejoicing or priding yourself in your ability to keep rules and regulations and to do good stuff that's written in the Old Testament law uh, and when you couldn't possibly keep it all? Nobody ever did. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's why we have to turn to the cross. That's where we see our only means of salvation. And so um, these enemies that had come in, uh, and, and just as in the book of Philippians and in the book of Corinthians, and you can find it all through if you start looking for it, it's the Judaizers coming in. Paul said, no, no, rejoice in the Lord. And beware of those guys of the circumcision. They're telling you you've got to be circumcised to be saved and keep these Jewish rituals, and it's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. People have died for that truth. Do you know that? Throughout the history of the Christian ages, many have died because they refused to succumb to a religious sect or a list of rules or some uh, uh, creed to a, a cultish denomination or church instead of simply rejoicing in the Lord and putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did at the cross because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God did you know that something is simple remember um, Romans 1 he says for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first but also to the Greek Gentile and then he goes on to say you always forget this verse for therein what's he mean by therein by the gospel therein that is through the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith the gospel reveals the righteousness of God this might seem like an old-fashioned hymn I love old hymns don't get me wrong I love the new stuff too there's a there's a verse that says Jesus said a wise man brings out of his treasure things both old and new okay and I like to apply that to music, even though I'm probably pulling that verse a little bit out of context. All right. But th this old theological, I love the theology that used to be preached in the church 150 years ago, 100 years ago. People understood the gospel. They understood the righteousness of God. They understood the judgment of God because God was both just and love. People talk a lot about justice and social justice today. They don't have a clue. Go to the Bible and you'll see where true justice is. We didn't deserve a thing. Jesus had to be, take the just penalty that I deserved on the cross in my place. And by doing that, he vindicated a righteous, holy God and satisfied all the claims of sin that stood between me and a holy God and would have sunk me in hell. And Jesus took it upon himself. And God, when I put my faith in that work, could look at me and declare me righteous. So that hymn goes something like this. The perfect 
righteousness of God is witnessed in the Savior's blood. Uh, For in the cross of Christ we trace God's righteousness yet wondrous grace. God could not pass the sinner by. His sin demands that he must die. But in the cross of Christ we see how God could save yet righteous be. The sin alights on Jesus' head. Tis in the blood sin's debt is paid. Stern justice can demand no more, and mercy can dispense her store. The sinner who believes is free, can say the Savior died for me, can point to the atoning blood and say, this made my peace with God. That's the gospel in a nutshell. I deserved hell. Jesus took those claims in my place. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God, the Bible says. The one who knew no sin was made sin for us, the great exchange, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Every believer in this room is in Christ. That gospel was being attacked. The Judaizers were saying, oh, no, no, you guys are Christians, but you need to become Jews like us and not eat meat and not and keep certain days and maybe even worship on Saturday and do all these things and you will be more spiritual and you will be holy. In fact, if you aren't circumcised and you don't do these things, you might not even be saved. And Paul calls these guys false brothers. You cannot add or subtract to the gospel. The gospel is centered on the person and work of Christ. Okay? Was Jesus the eternal son of God? Do you believe he was? Do you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? He was born of a virgin and came down here and lived a sinless life. And do you believe as that spotless, holy lamb of God, he died on a cross in your place and mine and bodily rose from the dead and is ascended into heaven and is coming back? A, 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 A Jesus that's not just some spirit brother of Lucifer, like the Mormons believe. The Mormons use our dictionary, or they use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. Okay? That's very important. It's another gospel. I'm not here to attack any group. I'm saying, Paul's saying this is really, really, really important. So, in his defense of it, he shows in the first chapter that you guys looked at before, hey, I'm a Jew just like you guys. I was zealous for the law. I actually was persecuting the church. And then, you know, I I got saved and I got a revelation from God. He called me to be a special apostle to reach the Gentile people by grace through faith gospel, not of works gospel, not mix in Jewish religion gospel or Catholicism gospel or Mormonism gospel or Buddhism gospel or Muslim gospel, but God's gospel, the gospel of the grace of God through faith that has appeared to all men, okay? So that's, so Paul says that, and, and he's talking about how he had to defend, he defends his apostleship. You know, if you can't, if you don't like what someone's teaching, the best way to attack it is attack the teacher. 
The Pharisees didn't like what Jesus was teaching, so they attacked the teacher. They said, oh, he's teaching. He does these miracles through the power of Satan. He, does it, he casts out demons through the Be Beelzebub. They attacked to dis discredit the teaching. They attacked the teacher. That's what the Judaizers started to do about Paul. They tried to say, ah, he's not really an apostle. Ah, he, just, he doesn't really have a legitimate gospel he's preaching. And so Paul has to defend in these first two chapters both his apostleship, who he is in Christ, and his calling to, through a special revelation, and the gospel itself. Okay? And if you understand that, that makes it a lot easier going through as he defends this thing. All right? And um, so I want to not go too long here tonight, so I want to get on right into the meat of this, these verses. But in chapter um, uh, 2, he says, uh, Then 14 years after I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, I took Titus along. And in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, presented the gospel that I preach to the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running or had not been running in vain. That's his introduction to these next few verses we're going to look at. What he means by that is he wasn't saying, hey, I'm not sure about my gospel. I had to go to the other apostles and check and see if I was on the right track. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if they were getting sucked into some other gospel... Then, it, And there was division happening in the church where the Jews were trying to make Gentiles worship like Judaism. And a schism comes into the church. Paul's feeling like all of his efforts to reach these people and plant these churches would be in vain. Therefore, he has to defend his apostleship and he has to take a trip up there. And he brings Barnabas with him and he brings Titus with him. Okay, I'm going to make this real simple tonight. Because we've got Michael Baltursa there, you know, in the back. And, and so for his benefit, we want to keep this at first grade level Christianity. All right? So that we know Michael can stay with us. So let's move to the next slide. Because we're going to look at verse 3. No compelling I have here. So he says, because these are C's. I love C's. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rabbit trail again just for a second. I used to preach one time on like seven C's of the gospel, okay? Jesus, he was the creator Christ, right? All things were made by him. Not Without him was not anything made, right? But he was also the compassionate Christ. He had compassion on the multitudes. He went down and healed the sick and did all those things, right? But then he became a crucified Christ. He died in our place on a cross. He had to pay that penalty for our sin. But did he stay in the grave? No, he was a conquering Christ. He rose from the dead. And then... Uh, uh, he, um, after that, he's going to be a coming Christ. Okay? He's going to come back. That's what he said. Uh, this same Jesus, the angel said, have you seen taken up into heaven? He's going to come again in like manner as you've seen him go. But last of all, he's a calling Christ. He's calling people who don't know him to come. See? I just love stuff like that. Okay? So you got to forgive me if I put these in C's. I had to really stretch the last one, so just wait. Yet not even Titus. He's bringing a Greek guy with him up to Jerusalem. 
So he's going to be around all these big shots in the church, all right? Who was with me, because he, he just said in the previous verse um, that he, he met with esteemed leaders. So he's, he's meeting with the other apostles, I take it. And did the other apostles say, oh, you got a Greek with you. You better get him circumcised. He ain't going to make it into heaven if you don't do some ritual. Nope. No compelling. Titus was there, and these big leaders that were so esteemed, what did they do? They backed up Paul's gospel. They, they said, what this guy's preaching is fine. And he doesn't, this Titus guy, you don't need to turn him into a Jew, okay, so that he can make it into heaven. All he has to do is trust in Jesus by faith, by grace, through faith. So there's no compelling with this gospel. Let's go to the next one. Verse 4. This matter arose because believers had infiltrated our ranks. They, some translations say they spied out our ranks. Uh, false believers. They spied out our freedom that we have in Christ to make us slaves or bring us into bondage. Paul's saying, these false teachers want to make you slaves. And I'm going to tell you what, every religion in the world is about bringing you into bondage. More people go to hell the religious route than any other. The world is full of religion and God hates it. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Salvation is what God has done to reach man. So this gospel that we believe brings what? Bondage or freedom? If you're trying to add to the work of Christ, if you're trying to put a list of rules and regulations, it brings slavery. It brings bondage. That's why he's going to say in chapter 5, begin that chapter, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewithin, or the freedom wherewithin Christ has made you free, and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. What did he mean by that? Don't try to go back under the law. Okay? In fact, he's going to say in the next chapter, you guys, he, he appeals to their experience, and he says, you got saved by grace through faith. Why are you now trying to go back and live under the law? You began well. Who hindered you? Who cut in on you? You, what you started with is what you need to finish with. So he appeals to their experience. And then he appeals to Abraham in the Old Testament. And he shows that he was by faith. And he takes a covenant. And he looks at that. And he says, yeah, that covenant was made before the law was ever given. The law did not annul God's promises. It's salvation by grace through faith. And he just kind of just, boom, goes right through it. All, all with all of those arguments. And then in the end, in chapter 5, he says, you're not saved anymore to do as you please. You're saved to do what's right. So don't live in the flesh just because you have personal liberty and freedom. But instead, in love, serve one another. I'm not saved to sin. I'm saved to serve. Amen? Okay? Let's go to, so as Christians, the gospel sets you free. Religion puts you under bondage, makes you a slave. Judaism would make them a slave. Not only, as we already saw here, is there no compelling 
Titus didn't have to do something different than what was just believing in Jesus. There's no chains, no rules, rituals, added things. You got to be at church every Sunday. If you don't pray, if you don't read your Bible, you're going to hell. None of that stuff, okay? You better, you, uh, if you want to grow as a Christian, you better read your Bible. And, and we're called to pray without ceasing. But those are not the things that save us. And they're, they're not the things that make us more holy with God. And they don't earn us any brownie points, okay? It's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Just Jesus. Let's go to the next one. Uh, so I, I um, number, uh, did I, no compromise. Okay. He says, we did not give in to them. He's talking about the false teachers that came in to spy out their freedom. that tried to infiltrate into the church and bring these people under legalistic bondage. We didn't give in to them for what? Just a few times. We only let them speak for an hour. Then we shut them up. Not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. There is a verse in Jude that says this, earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He doesn't say earnestly be contentious. He says earnestly contend for the faith, all right? Because there's only one faith, and it's a once for all faith. And believers through the ages have died for that faith. And most of the apostles who are referred to in this chapter died martyrs' death so that faith could come down to you and me. Got it? So what does he say? We didn't give in to them. We didn't compromise for these false teachers. Sometimes you've got to stand so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Okay, the idea is like it's a monument or a statue. You might forget who George Washington is, but if you go to Washington, D.C., you'll see the Washington Monument. And that is a preservation or a, a monument that causes his name to be remembered. And by not compromising the truth... As people today, young men and young women who are starting out in our generation to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, it's preserved when we don't compromise. We don't grab on to the latest Christian trends where somebody says, if you bark like a dog, speak in tongues and stand on your head, you're going to be more spiritual. Okay? We can add all kinds of things to, to, to sort of seem like we're just having a great feeling or a great time. But if it moves us away from Christ and it takes us away from Jesus and gets us only focused on ourselves, it erodes what was preserved through Paul's no compromise. Through Peter, who died a martyr's death, no compromise. Through Tyndall, who was burned at the stake, no compromise. The gospel's preserved when we take a stand and don't compromise. Let's look at the next one. Verse, verse 6, here we go. No contributions, he says, and those who were held highest, in high esteem. I think these were the leaders, the pillars, it says in one translation. 
whatever they were makes no difference to me, okay? They might have been big shots in the early church, all right? But God doesn't show favoritism. He says those guys added what? They didn't come along and say, oh, you know, a little bit of law-keeping would be good. You know, uh, just you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you better do this every t- all the time. No. They added nothing. I already said. It's, it's, the gospel is our faith in Jesus Christ by grace. We're saved by faith. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. You can't take away from it, and you can't add to it. These people who are pillars in the church, Paul says they added nothing. We didn't compromise. We wanted the truth of the gospel to be preserved down through the ages so that in 2023 it could be preached at PCF in Gig Arbor, Washington. And he's saying, we're not adding to it. So I can't get up here tonight and give you a bunch of rules and regulations or five uh, key points that are going to make you more spiritual. We all want these little 10-step processes that are going to reach you to spiritual maturity. No. Believe the gospel, focus on Jesus, read the word, let the Holy Spirit live out in your life. Jesus says, the one who believes on me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's what we allow Jesus to live out of our lives. We let the Holy Spirit lead us as many as are born of God, are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8 tells us. That's the Christian life, not rules, not regulations. It's spirit-filled believers, saturated in the Word of God, focused on Jesus, letting Jesus live out through them. Because we're the only Bible that some people will ever read, and we're the only Jesus that they're ever going to see. And so like the little girl that she couldn't understand when her mom had kind of bad theology and said, oh, just invite Jesus into your heart. And, And the little girl says, Mom, when Jesus gets invited into your heart, does he stick out? Well, in one sense... Yes. If, if you have a real relationship with... Do you think you have a real relationship with the God who created everything, who loved you enough to devise the plan of salvation in eternity past and send Jesus down to the cross, pay the penalty in full and raise him from the dead, pour out his Holy Spirit, give you his word? Do you think that that God can live in you and somehow not stick out? If you're really full of Jesus, it's going to stick out. Okay? It just will. But it comes from believing a message that is not based on anything other than what Jesus did. There's two religions in the world, doing and done. So I look to the cross and I say, Jesus, you paid it all. Salvation, okay, is free. But the Christian life might cost you everything. Because Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but the life I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where is that in the Bible? A few verses beyond this section we're reading in the same, very same chapter. Galatians 2.20. Let's go to the next one. No competition. It's not like one pastor saying, who has the biggest church? Boy, you ought to come to our church. Our pastor's really great, man. He gives a great message. He's relevant. I mean, 
Sometimes, man, he preaches and he's just in flip-flops, you know, and a Hawaiian shirt. He's cool. I don't care about your pastor. I really don't. I mean, I do as a brother in Christ, but those are not the things we boast in. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. But when I look at these early leaders in the church, what Paul is trying to say is there was no competition between us. We all had our calling. Peter was called to the Gentiles. I was called, I mean, Peter was called to the Jews, and I was called to the Gentiles. And all the other apostles recognized and accepted that calling. They even gave me the right hand of fellowship. When somebody gives you the right hand of fellowship, they're saying, we're with you 100% in what you're doing. We're praying for you. We're behind you. We believe that you're doing something that is absolutely of God. And that's what they gave Paul. And they were happy even if they were called to a different ministry to support the ministry that Paul's called to. And Paul's basically point is, I wouldn't have had all that support if I was somehow preaching something different. They recognized my gospel. In fact, let's look at these leaders. A little farther on in the next section that I can't preach on tonight because Michael told me to stop at 10, is, is a guy named Peter who, when nobody was around, when the Judaizers were out of town, he happily ate with the Gentiles and then those guys, and he just acted like them because he knew he had Christian freedom. He didn't have to be under the old legalistic Jewish system. But now these Judaizers show up, and Peter starts to get strict about it. And what happens? Paul withstands Peter to the face in front of them all. In fact, Paul says, there are, Peter's hypocrisy was so great that Others were being affected by it. Would, here's my question for you. If Paul wasn't really an apostle, how could he in front of everybody withstand Peter, the great leader of all of the apostles, so to speak, at this time, to the face because, Paul says, he was wrong. And what did all the other leaders do? They recognized that Paul was telling the truth. And Peter, though he was a great man, had fallen into something that was going to detract from the gospel. They backed up Paul in that situation. Imagine Paul was standing Peter to the face, as you find. But that's another point that he makes in defense of his apostleship because they were trying to attack the messenger to discredit the message of salvation by grace through faith. All right, let's go to the next one. I cheated to get another C in here. No one concerned. All they asked these apostles was that we should continue the very thing which I was most eager to do. The, the thing that he was wanted to do because faith alone saves but the faith that saves is not alone right we're not saved by works Ephesians 2 10 says that we're saved 
unto good works or to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has actually given us, each one of us, something in advance that we're to do. But always remember this. Good works are not the root of salvation. They're the fruit of salvation. I say it one more time. Good works are not the root of salvation. They're the fruit of salvation. We're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. But the faith that saves is not alone. It ought to be demonstrated in the life of a believer in every way. Like I said, the gospel is free, but Christianity will cost you everything. And so when I become a believer, it changes my life. And suddenly, when I understand the gospel and God's divine plan of salvation, I don't want to compromise. Okay? I don't want to add anything to it. All that does is bring pride. Okay? Religious pride. We get focused on externals. Who wears the least amount of makeup? Who always wears feminine dresses instead of flat, uh, slacks and hot pants, okay? It all becomes on, and how long are those dresses? And how much makeup do you have? And how much jewelry do you have? And all of these different things. And they're all externals, and they have nothing to do with whether or not you're saved or not saved. Or whether you're a good Christian or whether you're not a good Christian. A good Christian is someone who is filled with the Spirit, saturated with the Word of God, letting Jesus live out through them. That is a testimony uncompromisingly to the world around because the world is on its way to hell. And there's only one gospel that's going to save them. And that's why it's so important not to add to it, not to take from it, but simply, earnestly, in a no-compromising fashion, Take what was laid out to the apostles as a gospel, what Jesus taught when he said in love to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That gospel, that simple gospel, doesn't say whoever believes in him and does this, this, and this or doesn't do this, this, and that. If your Christianity is about what you do and don't do, you're not a Christian. That sounds pretty blatant, but if that's your Christian, but if your Christianity is about what Jesus did for you, and that love that he demonstrated for you has so impacted you that you want to live 100% for him, not because you have to, but because he's changed you, so that you're filled with the Spirit and, and, and living out that in your life, that's the real thing. As we always say here, whether it's Christian growth, sanctification, or whether it's just justification, salvation. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's the person of who he is as given in Scripture, and it's the work that he accomplished that alone made atonement to a righteous, holy God that all I have to do is see it, put my faith in it, and believe it, I'm transformed, I'm brought from darkness to light, I'm now in Christ, no longer in my sins. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm dead to the law through the death of Jesus. 
I've been put in a completely new position. I'm in Christ. My life has changed. I'm a new creation. Praise be to God. The old is gone. The new has come. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight, and uh, thank you for the truths of Scripture that we could look at, and thank you that we can put our focus not on ourselves, not on our merit, not on our good works, not on our, our religious rituals, but in the one thing that you provided, Jesus, the Lamb of God's providing, the Lamb that was pictured on Mount, si uh, uh, on Mount Moriah in Abraham's day when he said to his son, God himself will provide a lamb. Thank you, Jesus, that you died in our place. Thank you for the salvation that we can have, that it's a, a sure thing. It's not a hope so, it's not a maybe so, but it's a foundation that we can stand on uncompromising so that the gospel can be preserved in our generation. And I pray for everyone in this room that they would be a testimony, Lord, where they work, where they go to school, in their families, in their neighborhoods, wherever they go and will go for the rest of their lives and the families that they might start and everything else, that they would be pillars, that they would be monuments of preservation to the truth of the simple gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone for the glory of God. And in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.